And we're live. So, uh, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place where we put the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to talk about this panel. Why, Doc, you're acting like you've never heard me say that before. What's so No, I just think it's very apropos for today. Especially since we actually have all three of us today. Nick, uh, he got released from the Coast Guard, and they let him come and do his thing. He stopped playing with boats today. So welcome. Welcome. All right. And so I'm going to give you a sneak peek of of the topic today. So we are here. uh, If you're listening to this and you know what day it is, Valentine's Day, we're here to talk about everything we hate. No. No, no. no, no, This was your idea. This is called I thought it was appropriate. JR is the romantic one. I said we could do a panel talking about our worst Valentine's Days, but you said no, that might be traumatic. I mean, we don't want to scar people. If they've listened to our show, they are already scarred. Also possibly true. Uh, so I thought, you know, we'd, we'd dive into to the topic since they do write sci-fi and fantasy romance. But uh, before we do that, we are going to let our guests introduce themselves. So we're going to start with Miss Tyra Burton. Can you tell us who you are and what you write? Hey, I am Tyra, and I write uh, science fiction romance, regular romance, uh, fantasy, and uh, nonfiction. I write about social media, and I'm a professor at Kennesaw State, and completely discombobulated this morning, so I should be awesome. (laughs) Sounds like the recipe for epically awesome. I will take it. All right. Next, we have the lovely Miss Gail Z. Martin. Can you tell us who you are and what you write so you can introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. As uh, I'm Gail Z. Martin and Morgan Bryce. As Gail, I write epic fantasy, urban fantasy, steampunk, and more. As Morgan, I write urban fantasy, male, male, paranormal, romance. On the Gail side of things, the um, not all of the series have romance. Those that do have, say, 98% action adventure and maybe 2% romance because you can't fight monsters all the time. And on the uh, Morgan side, it's much more 50-50 between the urban fantasy, magical monster elements, and the true love uh, and sexy times. Okay. And every time you say true love, I'm picturing that scene from Princess Bride where the guy with the funny hat. Yeah, I can never talk like him, but it's it's delicious. All right. And next, we have last but not least, the lovely Miss Erica Shaniak returning to the show. Can you tell us who you are and what you write in case anyone didn't listen to your last interview? Oh, thanks. (laughs) I'm Erica Shaniak. I write under EA Shaniak. Um, I write paranormal romance, westerns, regencies, alien sci-fi, harems. I write whatever I like, and um, I just love romance. It's fun. It's quirky. It can be hilarious and all the things. I don't do erotica because I'm not that exciting in real life either. So. <laughs> all right. So she loves love, and you've never corrected me. I've said your name wrong all these years, and you've never once said anything. Wow. That's because she's a nice person. Doc's not oh, nice. She corrects me all the time. It, it's, it's pronounced Shaniak. It's russian or something i don't know my maiden name was coffee that was so much easier <laughs> i don't know that i would have changed the name if my last name was coffee i'd have kept it forever that's because i've had a love affair with coffee yeah i was nicknamed folders in high school and i used to get pissed i'm like i'm not folders i'm yubin and they're like what I'm like you guys don't know your coffee then so hmm. yes but i mean <laughs> i don't know i'd almost i would have made your husband change his name just because that last name but anyway, hey, we're not here to talk I've about had you somebody to do that. Guys don't respond well to that. If they have no. a cool last name, they do. Hell yeah. Well, if you, if you type in Shaniac. <laughs> a woman whose last Shania- name is Skywalker, I'm changing my name. <laughs> if you type in Shaniac on Google, I'm one of nine only in the world. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Does make you easier to find if they can spell it right. But all right. There's so. that. <laughs> I, I try to look for the positive in life. They say that's good for you. But uh, so we are here to talk about romance. It is Valentine's Day. We'll throw the little graphic up for a second so you can see. It's a lovely fireplace for our fireside chat with some wine. Um, Doc, we know, has already started drinking the wine. So it's all good. Ignore the fact that we're recording this at 10 in the morning. She doesn't care. You know uh, what? So- Mimosas are a wonderful thing. Amen. I hear Bloody Marys are breakfast food. 
So I don't know. But anyway, it's got fruit and stuff. But uh, so first, let's define what exactly is romance. And we will let the, the panelists go in any particular order. So so what do you think makes a story a romance novel? Uh, okay, well, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah, the writers can handle this one. Well, yeah. well, the official genre definition is that to be a romance, it has to have a happily ever after ending or a happily for now ending. So the characters have to get together either permanently or at least together by the end of the book. If it doesn't have a happy ending with the characters together, it can be action adventure with uh, significant romantic elements. It can be romantic suspense. It can be other adjacent genres, but a true romance comes with a guarantee that you are not going to be brokenhearted at the end of the book. True love will conquer all, your characters will be together. That's that's the guarantee that comes with a true romance novel. So can can that deadline, you know, being done by the end of the book expand for particularly because there's like slow burn where it takes multiple books. Mm -hmm. Does that still count as romance or is it like sci-fi with romance? I my understanding is that they still have to end up in a good place by the mm -hmm. end of each book. They might not okay. be married, they might not be engaged, but they are they are not hating each other and estranged and uh, okay. not together. Yeah, the relationship yeah, so like doesn't end on a cliffhanger. Like, right. That's what, yeah. I mean, so, that's, that's the warm fuzzy you get from reading romance is that you don't have to be on tenterhooks on are they going to end up okay? Is this going to be a happy book? This is a, a genre for people who want to know going in that it's all going to be okay by the end of the book. So, so do you agree on that definition, Tyra or Erica? Yeah, I, I do. And same like with like slow burns and stuff, you know, even like with book one, how they're, you know, they probably hate each other and, you know, they're coming, but you know, at the end of book one, they're kind of getting on those, you know, and, amicable terms. So there's that and you can prolong it through the series just as long as when your series is done, as Gail said, you have that warm, fuzzy, happily ever after, and you know it makes the reader happy. Otherwise, you're in that subgenre of dark romance or you know whatever have you, and you know you have to disclose that. It's the classic definition. I mean, in some form or way, the relationship has to be even kill at the best. I mean, if it's a long, slow burn, but oh. so. Do you think then that would mean if you need happily ever after uh, from the romance side to be true romance, that there's some genres then that are not uh, able to be as properly intermixed, say like a horror or, you know, psychological thriller, because those seem to be the, the romantic angle and the horror angle seem to be at, at loggerheads. So can you then have a romance horror or? You can have a horror <laughs> with romantic elements. It doesn't have to be categorized as a romance. It can be a horror with significant romantic elements. Um, it just isn't a romance. Can Candyman's a good example of that. There was romance in that one? There was, if you had actually watched the JR. Okay. Uh, it's been a while, you know. Not the remake. Don't don't watch the remake, even though it was good, but it had nothing to do with romance. But the first one was had a lot of romance elements to it. Okay. I mean, you can look right. at like romantic suspense, which obviously has lots of thrills and lots of action. But at the end, they always end up together. One of them's not yep. over their grave with them dead, which might yeah. be more horror-like. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if they just, come out of the grave. Just, you know, kind of kill them, but don't really Zombies. kill them. <laughs> well, right. that falls in the hurt comfort subgenre where, you know, you get lots of, of angst over sitting at the hospital bed and confessing your true feelings, but then they have to live and everybody's together at the end. They Wait, can't that's just a thing? be in a coma. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, or like okay. the fantasy romance, you just kind of stabby stab stab a little bit, but it's not too much. Like <laughs> For some people that's four play. We're okay. <laughs> hey, Nick likes it like that. All right. So are there any but just a tip. <laughs> we'll leave that alone. It's a family friendly show. But uh... of the knife, JR. Savage. I mean, this is not a gore a gore podcast, so I'm just saying it it's could be friendly. 
Could be. I don't know. But, uh, no, so Jr. said it's not a gore contest. That's why we're not allowed to talk about my romance life because we all know that. Okay, so <laughs> it's horrific. Oh, are there any tropes that uh, that match especially uh, well with romance that are mm-hmm. that are pretty universal in the in the field? Well, I think you get some major ones like hurt, comfort, and enemies to lovers, friends to lovers, second chance at love. Um, secret baby. Um, wow. Oh, mail yeah. order bride. That's... Mail order bride, or some variation of that. Um, yeah, there there are a whole bunch of tropes, and sometimes you can get three or four of them in the same book. I mean, that's that's the fun part. We all have our favorites that we like to come back to. Well, what what's your favorite? Me. Jinx, you me a coke. Oh yeah, her comfort. I, I want I want all the the suffering and then it all ends up okay and and everybody's together and and has in the meantime confessed their true love yeah i love that i like the kind of combatant where they're kind of against each other and then come together or uh i like to write books with mystery subplots so (laughs) there's always that whole detective working together kind of thing so like moonlighting you guys remember that show yeah i grew up on moonlighting and heart to heart so yeah Mm -hmm. I was done. Remington Steel. Yes. Steel. Oh my God. No, I'm yeah. about my level of romance that I can handle on a day to day basis. So, <laughs> basis. Erica, your... what about yours? I I like Hurt Comfort and Enemies to Lovers because you can just throw in all the snarky comments, all the sarcasm, and if it's werewolf, like you can use a crap ton of dog puns. Like, if I give <clears> you chocolate, <throat> will you die? <laughs> Uh, so what you're saying is sarcasm is your love language. Oh, heck yeah. I'm very crass. <laughs> what the so have you, actually ri- have you actually written uh, uh, werewolf romance then? I, I, didn't re- I guess like Twilight. I should know it was a thing, but... Oh, shift your romance. Do not shift your romance. Twilight is ever. huge. Oh, yeah. I just got... Oh, go ahead. No, it's just agreeing that shift your romance is huge. Werewolves mm-hmm. and all kinds of different shifter creatures. I've, I've got series with, uh, uh, I've got goat shifters. I've got a possum shifter who falls in love with a raccoon shifter. And yeah, it doesn't have to just be wolves and big cats. Yeah. So I would like to be a possum. Boston Terrier if I had that power. So possums <laughs> and raccoons, what would the babies be? Human. I'm just trying to picture that t- human. <laughs> At first. And, and, and JR, in I therapy. Write romance, so that's not really an issue. Okay, fair, fair. Although I did see Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger, so you never know. Science could happen. Uh, that's an old reference. Erica's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's because she's the youngest one here. Oh. Anyway. But um, do you think, it, but you said, you know, touching on, like, there's all these different definitions of love and what love looks like. Do you think that, I think, that it's important to kind of try and show all the different possibilities, not necessarily in one thing, because that's just one novel, because that can be a little too much and throw off a reader. Um, but do you think it's important to do that? And how do you do that? Like you write male, male. How do you write male, male as you are obviously a female? I know I've known you for several years. I can say this with certainty. <laughs> Visit a Marine well, barracks. Says the army man. I I do caution against making assumptions about any author's um, gender or orientation and that and say that authors shouldn't be required to out themselves to write any kind of book. Um, This comes up a lot in the LGBTQ romance. Um, So I kind of need to throw that out there. Um, I never I never personally I never read male female romance because I could never identify with the women in those books. They were not me. I was not waiting to be carried off on a white horse by a a knight. I was out there fighting the dragon myself. And I just I looked at these women and went, who are they? Uh, I'm not them. But when I discovered male male romance, these characters start with equivalent privilege from the beginning just by virtue of being guys. Now, there can be other kinds of privilege, you know, the billionaire and the barista or whatever. There, there are a lot of different types of privilege, but just by virtue of both being guys, you don't have to go through the, um, they, they start 
from an equivalent place in the relationship. And the other thing that's cool about writing male male romance is you don't have to prove that the that one partner is still a good, you know, good respectable person because they really like sex. They're both men. Of course they love sex. Where in a lot of male female romance there's there's still this little dance going around. Well, you know, she hasn't had that many partners. She's not really that experienced. She's still she's, you know, still respectable even though she, you know, really likes to get it on. That, that's out the window with male-male romance. Of course, they both enjoy getting together because they're both guys. That's just a given. And I know things are changing and have changed a lot in the, the uh, male-female romance side of things. But that was when I had my first exposure to it. And when I found male-male romance, I just said, I can identify with both of these characters. This is terrific. Um, I, I love this. Give me more. And then I was having so much fun. I said, I got to get in on this and start writing it. That's the short answer. I have written much longer explanations of why why I write male-male romance, but that's the short answer. <clears throat> so you brought up an interesting question. So I'm going to pass this one to both Tyra and uh, and Erica. But so uh, Gail mentioned she didn't grow up reading romance because she couldn't relate. So did either of you grow up reading romance? No, no. I did not. I was I... busy working for my dad in the construction and trying to uh, basically survive my toxic parents. So, like, I didn't get anything. Um, I didn't start actually reading romance until I started working in a nursing home and, like, going to school for, like, to further mm -hmm. my career. And then I would, you know, I was always told, you know, you knock on the lady's door before you enter. And, like, okay, at night, because I worked the night shift. But, you know, like, because I always wonder, like, why would you do that? They're asleep. You just have to go in there and change, like, their bedpan or, you know, drain, drain their cath or, like, whatever. That was, that was, like, for a completely different reason. So I saw they were reading romances and they're, you know, having fun by themselves. And then I'm like, okay, what's so great about this? And I started reading it. I'm like, holy crap, this is great. Like, <laughs> I see why they're reading that. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Um, so yeah, so, what about yeah. <laughs> I grew up reading Tolkien, Christie, and Small Town Romance, which none of those fit together. Um, but I like characters. And so back in the day they would have these like 13 book series in the same town where you got to know everybody and they would all have their own little individual romances and i liked that um which is probably why i also like cozy mysteries so but yeah take tolkien christy and like romance and you kind of have me jr asked me if i grew up reading romance and i went i know romance is a genre but no um, as I said, I have the emotional maturity of a male most of the time when it comes I, to romance, particularly. But I um, read romance because I thought it would help me understand women. Newsflash: It does not. <laughs> I don't recommend that. That's like watching pornography, learning but how to do I other think things. It's been interesting though, because like Anne McCaffrey, who is an amazing granddam of science fiction and fantasy, mostly science fiction, is what she wrote. But she started her first three novels were romance. And um, do you think that it's because there's such a classical structure and tradition around romance of like, you know, you have the predictable ending, things like that. Do you think that maybe that's why so many people have touched into the romance genre? I think it's easier for females, especially during her time, to get a contract writing that. Yeah. Whereas now I think that you can be a female and write any genre and you don't have to like have a a name that isn't uh, feminine, but particularly back in her day, that would have been probably the easiest way to get published. Okay, that makes Sadly. sense. I, yeah. I know they still say that uh, if you're writing romance today, you, you need a female pen name. I know if yeah, you- there's, there's a whole set of books about Sturgis's from the, the 1960s that was written by a guy under a woman's name. Yeah, I know. Um... So do you feel that romance has evolved in, in the genre and the books that we're reading, writing, and finding since it really got started? Because, I mean, it's now not just like grandma's thing, you know? I mean, I personally would find it hilarious to watch my grandmother reading anything with a shifter, but, you know. It's not just for grandparents or grandma and board housewives anymore, right? Well, like I don't know. My kids are all. I mean, I see guys reading them too, which is yeah, you know, it was not surprising. Um, my kids are in their twenties, and I know my daughters who have always been big romance and and 
sci-fi fantasy readers and, and across the board, um, they pretty much say they can often tell um, the generation of the romance author be, by their tropes and how they, and the kinds of relationships. Now, that doesn't hold. I know a lot of people who are different ages and write different kinds of things. But I think the stuff that was published 20, 30, 40 years ago envisioned much different kinds, many, a much different ideal for relationships than we generally have now uh, in, in most cases. And again, that's another reason why I got attracted to the male-male romance. There wasn't a lot of diversity in female ages or body types or, you know, everybody was in their 20s and skinny. And now at least you've got a wide range of ages and body types and ethnicity and it's definitely improved a lot. Absolutely. So so we've talked you've talked about a little bit that the the way we describe the female body in the in the romance has changed. Do you think it's changed on how they describe the male or is the Fabio trope still mm -hmm. king? Oh, that's one of the things that I also love about male-male romance is there's a huge amount of body diversity. You have dad bods and you have soft tummies and you have bears and you have otters. And I don't mean shifters. Uh, I mean body types. <laughs> Google's going to uh, hate me today. <laughs> so, so. Yeah, Just blame the stepson. And you've also got a lot of stories uh, written about people with um, non- uh, not only non-neurotypical, but also uh, non-typical uh, bodies. So there may be an, an amputation. There may be a, um, you know, congenital uh, difference in a limb or something. You've got people who don't have perfect Fabio bodies. And they find love and they find the perfect person who loves them just the way they are. And I've seen that much more in male-male romance than I have in other genres. I think that's true because oh, I think in male, female, it's very much the same. Erica? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> oh, I've talked over you. So I was trying to pass the potato. Oh, no. She I, responded I, like no. you were in class. Um, like, I Erica? Oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yes, we know. <laughs> that professor voice. I'm sorry. I'm going to go over here now. I'm having too much fun at seven in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> but yeah, I I agree. There's much more body different, like different body types. You know, besides the whole she's super cute and petite, or she's really tall and lithe, and like you know, it's it's really nice. You can do whatever. It's I love it. Has the so you're seeing more from the writer side the push towards the body diversity. Do you think the audience is adjusting to that? Is it one something the authors are pushing down, or the the audience is pushing up in this case? depends on the genre I think because like from like a paranormal standpoint like from what I've read and I've seen you have you have your really masculine male sexy you know wolf shifters and the females typically like an airhead and very ditzy like oh I didn't know I could do that that's so amazing and it's like oh, freaking serious but like you know <laughs> I think I dated her like three years ago Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't know I was in danger. Oh, my God. Like, thank you ever so much for saving my life. Um, so I see that a lot. And it just, yeah, it, yeah, you see that. And well, then you I, also see the typical, you know, shifter guy. But I try to make mine different because I don't follow conformity. I think one thing, honestly, is um, I've seen a trend away from the broken toy or idiot dits. Like they're the two naive slash idiot dits in the broken toy, um, which is good. I like that. But um, one of the things also, and I I was reading a, a series in, uh, called Mystic Bayou, which is really good. Um, but one of the things she talks about in it is sometimes you don't, she like one of the characters didn't realize they were in danger. They did not understand that culturally. So there's like this culture aspect to, to it, which I think is great to bring in because readers aren't stupid and um so but i do think what you're saying jr is i think there's a synergy to it i think there's going to always be those readers who want to push for more diversity or just more difference than they're seeing and then there's going to be those people and and the authors who want to write that because 
maybe they already are that maybe they have family and friends who are or maybe they're just bored writing the typical and then there's going to be those who cling to tradition like um fungi i don't know that sounded very uncomplimentary it's definitely um it's definitely readers in the male male side saying that they want to see themselves in books in terms mm -hmm. of body diversity it's also um it, it, so it's definitely not getting pushed down on readers it there is a groundswell on that and of course with with male male romance and lgbtq romance you are also writing you know there are stories about non-binary people and and trans folks and um, all 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 kinds of pronouns on those always start confusing me though. Um, all, that mm -hmm. whole rainbow spectrum and and that deals with a lot of different body uh, body types and body diversity. So it's um, I, I think it's really baked in on the uh, male male and LGBTQ romance. Yeah, and I I think sometimes it's. Having been the uh, a lot of, in a lot of environments where I am the only only female or the only one with like I work in a chemistry lab and I'm dyslexic and so people will make jokes sometimes about inverting numbers and I'm like yeah ha, 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 ha. no and I'm not really laughing like they don't get it because it's kind of quiet and I think sometimes when you're pushing for something that is different you're not always the one willing to stand up in a room of people going yeah and going no. And that can be hard. So, so particularly because romance is one of those genres, people don't necessarily like wave the romance flag of that's what they're reading. So yeah, Tara, you look like you were going to say something. Well, just on that, there is a, stim a stigma like I about writing romance and even reading romance in some areas. So like being in academia, um, I had no idea I won this award and they were doing this introduction of me and they talked about the fact that I was a romance writer and you could hear the ripple across the room and i was like great now i gotta start and talking about that all the way to the bank yeah <laughs> i like no. academic tropes nobody read well when they right. announce you like that what, what do you think the students perception of you do they think you're like just writing porn or they think it's an easy genre to write or yeah that's more the problem that i because like i my romance is steamy but not hardcore by any means because i write under my own name and so i do have that i'm like there's this kind of moment when you're like, oh my God, they've read my stuff. Cause I just tell them who I am. They know who I am. I don't try to hide it or write under a different name because that's just who yeah, I am. So yeah, I have that moment of, oh, you read that. I'm going to go over here now. It'll be fine. <laughs> and you don't want to be called Professor Freaky. So that's why you don't get too hardcore. No, I'm sure. No, I, <laughs> that would be Professor bad. They King. Think I, I mean, they all sound like bad Batman villains. But you know, I already I, don't fit in very well in a business for faculty because I usually have pink hair. So, you know, it's all good. I started out writing epic fantasy and there was stigma because it was yeah. fantasy. It, it, it's a genre. Yep. Um, and unless you're writing lip fic, which is really about miserable midlife muggles having these angsty crises. Who wants to read about that? No, that's um, my life. I don't need to read about regular it. people having awful lives why i want some magic and dragons and ghosts and and you know stuff and i think if i have to read about people having awful lives i'm going to at least read a biography yeah, seriously but nick i think the other thing is we as a culture are so uncomfortable about talking about sex there's a huge difference between talking about sex and porn just because it is explicit doesn't make it porn and exactly i, I agree think with you. there are a lot of people who and some of the you know current kerfluffles in the news about oh my gosh that book an impressionable child might read it because it has sex in it it doesn't make it porn and we need to get over ourselves on that as a culture oh, yeah. but that's the book's fault that's what my european <laughs> friends tell me all the time it's like no wonder you guys are just so uptight you got a country that was founded by puritans you know well come over to europe funny thing. you know where certain things are as as common as a handshake. And I'm like, oh, really? Tell me more about this because I need to visit Europe more. <laughs> but so that's the thing about cultures is like in, in the U overseas, it's much more common to find very sex positive, shall we say, things even <laughs> on. Wait, 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 you say that, but I grew up overseas. I'm talking about that Europe. does not fit that. So let's be very precise before we start saying that because I think we like to all paint overseas is this wonderful magical place and i'm not saying that it is not beautiful and they do not have their own 
beauty and benefits. I would but, like the record to show at 29 minutes and 48 seconds, JR got his first chastising by Cisco today. <laughs> so in, in Europe, it's, it's not uncommon to see um, intimate love between people on a television screen, but they would think they would look askew at us for all the violence. And so we sort of invert what's acceptable here versus mm -hmm. what's acceptable there, which leads me to my next question. Do you think, since we're talking about romance, and let me throw the little romance fireplace up for you, we can set the ambiance. Mm -hmm. Do you think um, that romance is different when you're writing about different cultures? Because now you've got uh, fantasy romance, you've got paranormal romance sometimes you've got you know sci-fi romance where you're writing different cultures that may or may not be tied back to earth do you think that the romance is going to look differently is love going to look differently when you change those basic elements all right we'll uh, we'll go with erica well, first I, I, <laughs> no i think you know love is love no matter how it comes so, you know, as long as you're writing, you know, you're happily ever after and you like you can use some tropes in there, whether it's in sci fi, whether it's, you know, contemporary, whether it's, you know, behind a bush, you know, um, love is love, you know, just changing the setting doesn't really affect anything unless you don't really know what, you, know what you're writing about. Like if you're talking about stars and space, you don't have a freaking clue, then you're going to look like an idiot. But, you know, love is love. So just write it. Are you what? see if you're talking about foreign cultures, if you're talking about alien species, does love look the same though? Well, do you do you create like a system of societal rules in which love would look a certain way, or do you use that as like a commentary about how love is viewed in our society? Oh my god, I went really deep. I got to lay off the whiskey. Um, I. <laughs> but like, if I the, the challenge the... I would think would be creating a. a set of rules within the society as far as functionality and decorum and whatnot. Okay. Well, like I just write what I write. I write romance. I write love is love. And I have an alien sci-fi reverse harem. That's going to be releasing later this year is up in space. They're aliens. They're sparkly. I'm playing on the twilight trope. Cause you know, why the hell not? But they all have big schlongs. So, you know, they're like, Oh, you know, you're in my area. You're my space little, you know, little spaceship thingy. We're going to fuck. We're going to have... Oh, can I say that? Oh, well, you did now. <laughs> fuck it. I wasn't sure, like, if I'm allowed to swear on here or not. <laughs> so, like, you know, we're going to, you know... Oh, sorry, sis. I got my kid in here. Um, <laughs> Oops. Oh. Whoops. I have so, a feeling um, that was not the first time the kid has heard that. <laughs> nope. She tries to read over my shoulder as I'm writing it, and I try to curb her eyes as much as possible. That's why I advocate like, children shouldn't read. <laughs> she's, she's 11. I told her she could start reading romance when she's 16, and we have the talk, and you understand body parts. There um, you go. Rules. But, yeah, there's for my kid. <laughs> but, hey, you're lower. Um, but, like, in the, <laughs> in the book, um, like... I can't even do it now. So, so the reason I ask that is, is what what sort of inspired that question is is when I was overseas. Like, if you look in the U.S., which is where all of us are from, you see people holding hands. You automatically assume it's an intimate thing for the most part. The assumption is there, Doc. I know not everybody. I'm just saying the general assumption. When I was in uh, the Middle I don't East, hold hands unless so, I want to drag you someplace. I'm not holding anything. And you have no emotional intelligence. Likely. We've established this. But but then you see over the Middle East, you saw men holding hands as, as a sign of friendship that had absolutely no romantic undertones. And so the expression of, of intimacy, of romance, looks different across the cultures, even on Earth. So how you express that when you're talking, when you add in species and shifters and fairies and all the things. I'm talking about the fae, not anything else, people. Well, so, uh, okay, so I have I have read stories written by people who are from other cultures or who come from a family background uh, that is rooted in other cultures. And uh, mm. they incorporate a lot of those issues around how love is expressed and what's OK and what isn't, especially if you've got the um, tension of first generation, second generation, you know, the acculturation to the parents came from somewhere else 
the generation falling in love is more Americanized and, and there can be uh, tension there. And I've read that done beautifully from people uh, who are rooted in those cultures. Uh, you know, my shifters are in upstate New York. They are they are regular people, except when they're wolves or possums. Um, and so it's it's really American culture. Uh, it's just, you know, sometimes you go off and, and hunt in the full moon, uh, like you do. But, um, yeah, I think that there are some people writing really wonderful, diverse, uh, culturally diverse romances, and they, they tackle those issues. And I think if you're going to use someone from who has a background like that, you either need to know it, well, you need to know it intimately well so that you don't embarrass yourself and offend people. You do it right if you're going to do it or don't do it at all. Yeah. Research like is that. definitely, I mean, you've got to research. I think that's the great thing about science fiction fantasy, though, is that you're creating that world. So you might have inspiration mm -hmm. from cultures that exist within our world, but you can always turn them on in and change them. So in some ways, it's it's liberating uh, in that way. But and I, I I think with we were talking before about the difference in touch. Like I have some female friends that are from um, Asia, and they'll hold my hand, I love you. and I'm perfectly fine with that. But I could see how somebody could misinterpret that, um, and then that brings up a whole wonderful thing that you can start writing about. So we're going to pause for a bit and shamelessly shill for some chocolate with an advertisement because it's February. Chocolate is needed. Um, and then when we come back, I'm going to ask a question that Gail brought up that may not be exactly tender ears. So it's not bad, but it's wrong. Oh, I sent my kid away. So we're good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey there. This is author Katie Cross. I'm coming at you with an offer for a best-selling fantasy audiobook titled Flame, and it's totally for free. Here's a little bit more about it. Dragon servants Sana and Isadora Spence live deep in Leadham Wood, where persnickety dragons and wars on the borders are the least of their worries. Thanks to years of simmering tension, the hidden village is destined to crack, and soon. Sana's deep love for the giant beast causes her to make an irreversible mistake— while Isadora's disinterest in the dragons leads her to a fateful decision that will change the course of the entire world. Can the sisters prevent everything they know from falling apart? Or do they allow it to break and pave the way for new growth? Join the beloved Sister Witches in Flame, the first book in the Dragon Master trilogy. Just go to www.katiecrossbooks.com forward slash flame dash audiobook to get your free copy today. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. Uh, Doc didn't uh, didn't let me do my spiel about shamelessly shilling for the man because she said we should shill for the woman. But uh, we're back. We're talking. No, this time we shilled for chocolate. All right, we shilled for chocolate this time. But Doc, you had a question, so let's let's do this. What how, what do you define as porn, particularly when writing? Like, I think visual media is wise. It's very easy to look at a movie or a piece of art and go, no, that is definitely pornographic. But how is it that you deal with it in, as writers? Well, there is so much gray. gray. Yeah. You'll know <laughs> it when you see it. Pretty easy scale, which is if, it, if the story is all about two people falling in love, that's romance. Sex is optional. If it's all about maneuvering the two people into situations in which they will have sex, and that is the bulk of the book, that's erotica. Love is optional. And in porn, the plot is over if, you know, by the time the plumber arrives or the pizza is delivered. Yeah. So. Yeah, I did want to caveat it because somebody maybe have a kid or maybe just want to pause it. I don't know. Nope. Um, my kid hey, Nick, just do you have left opinion? the car. <laughs> what? Yeah, I heard her say, "I love you." Bye. She just threw her out, and it's fine. But the, the no, I'm, at, is... I'm actually at my son's basketball game, and my oh. daughter's like, "Can I have money to go to the concession stand?" I'm like, "Here, please go." <laughs> so the, the real question that we all want to yeah. know is: Does the pizza arrive hot, though? Okay. Always. Um, it's cold by the time they eat it, <laughs> and probably messy. 
<laughs> I, I wasn't going to go there, but okay. Um, and so, I'm glad we gave that warning to the audience too. But I mean, I, I've I've heard somebody once. I think it was Laura K. Hamilton once defined defined it as: "Is there an emotional connection?" So. And it was a good question to ask. No, it is. Because you, I mean, in some ways, you could do some really great porn where there was an emotional connection. But then, is it porn? I guess would be the question. So yeah, I mean, there's definitely a scale. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's been some really hot. I mean, when you think about some movies out there, there's been some really hot, sexy love scenes that border on it, but there's that emotion and char- character connection and story buildup and all those things. So yeah, and there's been some interesting ones. My the most interesting one was The Watchmen. Watching that one, there's a sex scene in there, and it's the first date with somebody I never met, and I was not familiar with the Watchmen franchise. So I'm gonna point out that this is very a- awkward date. This is another point of difference between male-female uh, sex and male-male sex. And of course, you know, if we're talking porn, you can find whatever flavor, subgenre, kink you want. So, you know, <laughs> and we don't kink shame here at the Blasters Boys podcast. What, what's the rule about if there is if something exists, there's porn on the internet of it. But oh, in God, general, unfortunately, that's true. Male-female porn, there is no emotional connection. In fact, it's usually pretty awful. Uh, for that reason, there are subgenres of male male porn where the emotional connection is very tangible. It's very loving. You have people expressing affection for each other. It's very tangible. That's part of the fantasy. Where male female porn is generally written only for the male gaze for jerking off. It has nothing to do with what would feel good for the woman, and therefore it is transactional. And it is um, it there. There's just not any kind of a an emotional connection because that's not what the primary consumer of that porn wants. So I'm going to point out that you okay, can't just say that porn doesn't have an emotional connection because some some male male porn does, and it's a wonderful thing. Wasn't yeah, it's target marketing. Saturday morning, but hey, okay. You now there we are. Hey, are you there? Yes. I was. Uh, I just thought we were all uncomfortable for a minute. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> um, one uncomfortable or comfortable just make one of JR. It works. I'm comfortable with that. Well, I mean, it's one of those it's things where the Supreme Court of the U.S. once said, uh, I can't define it, but I'll know it when I see it, kind of the principle. Because um, the line, it seems, between what would be just steamy romance and what would be smut is kind of blurring more, it seems, lately. Um, has that been your experience, Tyra or, or Erica, since you are uh, have not answered this one? I'm going to put you on the spot, or do you want to pass, and we can move on? No, I think it's... Uh-oh, we lost Uh-oh, it. uh-oh. You, you She's muted. What did you do, JR? She censored herself, okay? I did not do that. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Says the man oh, behind the I curtain. Tried to unmute her. You muted yourself, my dear. I know because my mic just went haywire. <laughs> it's the exciting okay. things. Can you hear me now? I feel like I'm yeah. told. <laughs> I think it's the eye of beholder because even if you look at like art, some people would say some of it's pornographic, while other people would look at that piece of art and say that's a beautiful reflection of two people coming together. So I'm all about the eye of beholder. And smut is not bad. Let's just no! say that. I agree with you. I love smut. I mean, oh god, I've opened a can. <laughs> when, I, when I first started, I was told that three or more, you know, sexual scenes is considered then erotica. Uh, clean and sweet is like a, a peck on the cheek, a peck on the lips, a handhold. Like you don't go beyond that for clean and sweet. But now it's becoming like, oh, that's you know, not clean and sweet anymore that's just you know a, a light whatever the lines are becoming way more blurred um which is hard because you know like my daughter tegan she wants to read romance i'm like okay so when she wants like to when she gets older it's like i have to read it first so i know what i can expect so i can explain it then to her of what of what it is that way she knows and doesn't get confused but like you know, people market the book as steam and it's not really steam. It's like full on naked bodies, which I won't complain about. But, you know, 
Yeah, the YA's have that problem too with the um they're calling it new adult, which I mm -hmm. think Yeah. I, I think it used really to be teen like romance. A, a Is that what they're calling it? Like we just call it adult. But so it's supposed to be that eighteen to twenty kind of college that six that college transitional. Oh, the, time. the young adult. No, the new adult. No, no, no. Young adult, even younger. Yeah, young adult. Young adult is like yeah. transitional. No, eighteen forward. That's adult. That's young adult. Why? So young I, adult now is what? Like fifteen? Well, young adult has always been like preteen teenagers, kind of in that range. Whereas when you talk about new adults, it's eighteen, like that college age. There and trust me, there's a transition between young adult and over 25. Let's just say that. Oh, yeah, it's a huge difference. Yeah. So that's why they call it new adult because they're off. And oftentimes, with that happily ever after, it's not marriage. It's just being happy with yourself. Sometimes you'll get a lot of that kind okay. of romance in there. Whew. Okay. So, do you think that as writers, that you feel a responsibility to? should try and show not necessarily healthy because sometimes people aren't starting romance in the healthiest place, but the ability to even get healthy to like role model what in your three year characters, um, healthy, healthy development or healthy ending, whether it's going from a not great place to a better place or even just how love should look better. Does that make sense? Like for me, my mom, my mom's idea of bringing up some of these topics was to hand me a book with them in them. Like my mom handled the concept of homosexuality by handing me the last Herald going, is there anything you'd like to talk about out of it? So great book series. I mean, it, it, it is a wonderful book series and it was a wonderful way that worked for me. But, um, but I mean, my mom did read everything i wrote read before i read it read it till That's i was nice. probably in my 20s because the woman's a really fast reader and we read the same stuff but definitely she made that effort while i was in my teens so that she could talk about it and make sure that it was modeling behaviors she was okay with there are different different authors write different things personally i have to live with these people in my head four months and years at a time and so I personally want to write things that don't trigger me and that don't uh, make me uncomfortable and that I feel are healthy. Now, it may take them a while to get to that point of being healthy, but that's where I want to see them go to something functional. There are certainly plenty of subgenres that deal with other things and not yucking anybody's yum. But that's, for me, I have to live with these people in my head and so that frames where, you know, what I'm willing to put them through and where I want them to end up. I have a, a YA fantasy romance that's um, the parents are actually together, both still alive and like each other. Wait, is it sure you first YA? Yeah, no, it's YA. She's, she's 16. But they're supposed to be dead or hate each other or something. But that I wanted to write something that there was a healthy parent. And there was a healthy parental love between the, the father and mother because it's I that that's came from that. And you, you can't see that. You don't see that. They're always dead. They're Harry Potter, the poor boy. Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, Batman. my, my, I pull from experience of being, well, verbally, emotionally, mentally abused a lot. So like my characters are the extreme of one kind. And so my female character, my male character like they have to overcome that and know that this because that happened in the past doesn't make them them they can put it behind them they can move on and that they can heal from that trauma and the the other person whoever they're falling in love with understands that like okay i understand your conflict i understand where you're coming from i'm going to offer you compassion and let's get through this together like my mom was very mentally abusive um she left me places just to see if i could get back so i tend to do the kind of same things to my characters like my first character i ever made jordy she was left stranded alone with a kid my brother left me stranded alone with his kid and i had to adapt i had to figure it out wow. as a you know senior in high school so like for her i had to figure out the 
character that would fit best fit to her would be someone that wouldn't leave that you know she could be vulnerable to break down to and understand that you know come the end of the day he loves her for her and and that's not gonna go away so like that's that's what i do (laughs) well i think that's healthy especially uh so people can relate to it that are possibly going through something similar and they read your books and they're like, okay, I can overcome this. Yeah. And great therapy yeah. too. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yes. I yeah. I can't write the whole, you know, good parents thing. Cause I don't have that experience to write it. So I don't want to do that and like hurt some poor person. Like, why would you say that if the person's like, you know, so good, it's like, I, I can't, I have no relatability to that. Yeah. I watched so you're the not council, I don't want to. And it, there was I can't, a great I can't do Hallmark. Yeah, I watched a comedy, and there was a great line in it where somebody's mom like sent cookies, and they went, "Is this what a happy, well-adjusted childhood tastes like?" And they went, "Yes, <laughs> just like chocolate chip. That's what exactly it tastes like." <laughs> just was like, "I get that. I get that. That's funny." Oh wait, I just accidentally changed something. <laughs> so we know it was what? Doc that was wow. muting Tyra. If you're watching this no. on YouTube, you're getting an interview. No, Jr. You there muted her. You hit the wrong yeah, my button. Com- my computer wanted to do an update in the middle of this. Uh, of course it did. So covering for JR. We know it was him. Romance, like on the romance shelf versus, you know, like Alona Andrews or many of your novels. Is there a certain percentage of plot time that has to be spent on a romance for it to be romance and not sci-fi with romance? Oh. And if you're listening, not watching, she's doing finger quotes around romance. And Mine love. 50-50. Uh, okay. And all, all kinds of, and that's all kinds of expressions of romance, not just the sexy times. So that can be going out for a romantic dinner. That can be, you know, doing th- love language kind of things for each other. That's showing, that's focusing on the affection between the two people. And the rest of the time, they're hunting monsters or fighting witches or or dealing with you know supernatural threats to humanity as one does yeah it's gonna have its own um, 50 plot it's gonna have at least 50 percent of that plot has got to be that and then you have a second plot that's whatever story is going on underneath that so you say as a general rule it's a 50 50 mix and well that's kind of like the stopping point of where you probably switch into instead of saying romantic suspense you say suspense with romantic elements Okay. So, so when you talk about hunting uh, monsters as a love language, you got Nick all excited. But uh, <laughs> the couple that hunts together stays together, Jr. That's what I've been trying to tell you. So, um, do you guys add as a token of my admiration? <laughs> I will say this: my sister and her husband do hunt together, and they do have a great relationship. So maybe Nick's right. I think you have to, I think it works. It could be antique hunting, monster hunting, just hunt something. <laughs> my husband and I do you know, dirt biking and hunting too. We have a great relationship. There you go. My family kills things on video games and tabletop games. So. Okay, same way. So Go what on. you're saying is killing things is how you love. Okay. The family that yeah. plays together stays together. together. I got a shirt that says that. The family that slays together stays together. So... I had a bunch we of D&D guys on, on for a while, but I know everybody here has plans to do and things to uh, mischief to make. So, can you? We're gonna go around and well, can you guys hold give on. us. Hold, hold on, before we do that. So, as you, dear <laughs> listener, we are not opposed because we are. You have looked actively to try to get some uh, sci-fi romance authors and other specific genres of romance just to broaden our type of guests and the type of interviews we do. So if there's anything in that field that you want, uh, let us know in the comments when we post this. If there are questions for a panel on romance we didn't ask, throw those in the comments too. If you want us to have these guests back to do more, you know, we're, we're willing to do all the things. You just got to communicate with us. And uh, when we give all the contact information, if you use our email, Suska will say nice things with you and pretend she has feelings. <laughs> and I ruin everything. And that's Blasters and Blades Podcast at gmail.com. All right, Doc. Now we'll have to put it up there else you get fake email addresses. Just for the hate oh, mail. We also do mail. Nick at uh, Blasters and Blades Podcast.com for hate mail as well. But he yeah, likes it. It's will, his romance I will, language. I will respond. It's his if romance language. Yeah. I, I love to be just. Uh... So, 
I was going to ask, can you tell our listeners what you have coming up or if, or if you have a new release and where we can find you on social media? We'll also put this information so in the show notes for anybody who doesn't have pen and paper on them to track down these lovely ladies. Um, let's go with Erica and then we'll go with Tyra and Gail. You can find me on Amazon. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, as for upcoming books, I'm releasing my third book in the series, Dangerous Ties. It's a paranormal romance. It does get hot in there, so don't get pissed because you're warning the blurb and then you're warning the book <laughs> before you even open it. And I have a sci-fi alien reverse harem that's coming out in September as well with the same types of warnings saying, you know, if you're tr easily triggered, if you have, you know, anything against, you know, sexy time smut and scenes, you're warned of the blurb, you're warned of the book, so don't get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you will still see people in the comments who can play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will know. Oh, like the fantasy, like I wrote a fantasy romance series, non-historical at all. And I get comments. You are historically inaccurate. It's not historical, but okay. You should just go good. <laughs> Carry on. I do. Oh. They say when you get your first one-star review, you made it as an author. So I was like, cool. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> first time. <laughs> And it's always just one. It's like everyone else is giving you like four or five stars. And you have that one who's like, it was historically inaccurate. It's like, go have a coffee, Karen. Jesus. <laughs> All right. So you've, you've, uh, you've mentioned where you can find you, but what okay. do you have coming out? I, I have the sci-fi coming out in September and uh, the finale to my paranormal romance coming out in March. All right. Those are all the things. The show notes will uh, have all of her links. And what about you, uh, Gail? Uh, what do you have coming up and where can listeners and readers find you? Uh, you can, I'm pretty easy to find as Gail Z Martin. Make sure you have the Z in there.com and Morgan Bryce, B R I C E.com. All the social media is a variation of those names, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and just about everywhere. The new book for Morgan Bryce, The Romance, is The Devil You Know, just came out this week that we're recording. And that is the sixth book in my Witchbane series, but it can be read as a standalone. And Tyra. Awesome. I'm Tyra Burton in all the places, uh, mostly Instagram, Facebook, and occasionally I drop in at Twitter at Tyra Ann Burton because Tyra Burton is out there and she is single and ready to mingle. And that's the only thing she's ever posted. <sighs> so slip my middle name in there. But uh, I hopefully have a book called Socially Evergreen coming out this summer on social media for uh, small businesses, authors, entertainers, and then hopefully a fantasy this fall. Ooh. All right, that sounds outstanding. And so this is the part, dear listener, where I remind you that your thoughts matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And please read the blurbs before you, you complain. If you're reading fantasy romance, it's not historically accurate. Unless you're complaining that she wasn't historically accurate to the universe she created. And then we don't call it accuracy. We call that continuity issues. Just because we're talking about books that are coming out and are new. Dragon Award nominations are open, and all of these new books are eligible for a nomination. Do people actually vote this early, or do they tend to wait till closer to us? No, they nominate this early. And but, uh, but, I mean, do like they, they are. I understand that it's a nomination, not voting, and then technically by yes, Dragon, some people do nominate this early. Voting is in what like June, the, July? Voting is in August. Oh, I okay. wait until yeah, last summertime. minute so I have a chance to read what's out there. Like I might miss a good book if I if I vote too early, or nominate. Excuse me, nominate too early. There you go, Doc. So <laughs> all right, now that she's done harassing me, and we'll probably continue when the show is over. Let's talk about how you can. Yeah, that's what she does. It's how she shows her love. She's mean to you. How you can find us. So you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. That's for real, people. Email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. You can find our Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen, and you can comment about today's episode and tell us everything we got wrong or Doc got wrong, whatever, uh, which is facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. You can go to our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, 
Anchor.fm, I see that, Doc. Anchor.fm backslash blasters, tack and tack blades, where you can also support us on a Patreon-style model for as little as 99 cents a month and help keep the lights on. Or, alternately, you can support us over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley buy me a coffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-hosts nick garber and doc seska duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders never surrender oh you gotta say that with more feeling more passion more mm. you can do better nick help her out bring on the long schlong <laughs> all right and on that note doc bring us home <laughs> Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the actually here, Nick and JR. I'm Seska. This was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we indulge your love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, all things that go boom. And of course, making fun of JR because that is the national pastime here. Oh, we forgot something really, really important. Gail and, uh, and Tyra, we didn't ask them how they feel about pineapple and pizza. We need to know if they're allowed back. So Tyra, they are a lot yeah, back. Yeah. I, I have bad news. So I have to I have a caveat. My husband is allergic to tomatoes. So okay. pineapple on pizza is a wonderful thing because you can get other sauces with it, like buffalo sauce, which is awesome. Okay. So yes, I'm sorry we are a pineapple on pizza household. Yeah, I'm, That's I'm fine. Doc approves, but... I, I like pineapple on pizza. See? Same. I told you. Erica, you were supposed to be on my team. We're best friends now. We, what are you trying to break oh. up with me or something? You're supposed <laughs> to say no. Kind of. We talk about this. Well, consent always matters. Your consent on pizza toppings does not. <laughs>